Welcome to Creepy Kentucky. I'm Quinn. And I'm Laura. Is there anything we want to talk about before we uh, get into this? Whatever. I don't is. have anything. I don't either. Just one of the best episodes of how we, what we do in the shadows. Oh, God, yes. Day. Oh, my gosh. Onion soup. I know. Oh, my God. All right. So, where we last left off, Tom's second polygraph test right. was, again, inconclusive. And he was going to Albuquerque the next day for a month. Right. Because that's where he lives, right? Yes, he lives in Albuquerque. Right. And he's got his dental office there, too. Uh-huh. And his new wife, Kathy. Hmm. Um. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, good. So, the police got an exact time of when the killings occurred when a bicyclist called to inform them that on Sunday, July 22nd, he was riding past the Lynch house and didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. When he was about a mile away, he heard two distant shots in quick succession, followed a few seconds later by a third shot. He looked at his watch and saw the time was 10.47, which wasn't a weird, like, thing he put on himself when he was riding. Okay. Um, I apologize to everyone. I'm drinking a milkshake. I really apologize. Uh, <laughs> but it is delicious, so. Uh, my cinnamon rolls I had were delicious. Oh, I bet. I mean, if I Leonard had... was making homemade cinnamon rolls, God. Oh, yeah. Everything was homemade. Oh. He made the bread from... Like starting from yeast. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. It was it was really good. Okay. To make things weirder, he saw an empty, battered 1960s Oldsmobile parked by a road sign. It was yellow with dark top. Top. When a trooper was sent out to look, he found only a uh, the wrapper for a Budweiser 12 pack. Oh. So it really didn't help, except. They now knew exactly what time right. the murders happened. They now knew that Janie was alive when Dolores got home. The first two shots were for, for Dolores. The third shot he heard was for Janie. Ugh. And then the shot that killed Janie would have been shot inside. And therefore too muffled for the biker to actually hear. Okay. Oh. So that's where we're at with the Dolores and Janie murders. Oh no. Yeah. We're going to discuss the Sharp family now. Okay. Because there's a lot of people involved in this, uh, this wild ride. Okay. So, James Morit Sharp, Merritt Sharp, drove into Reedsville, North Carolina on his Model T Ford with his wife and four children in 1914. Okay. Fun fact, Reedsville is where Lucky Strike cigarettes are made. Mm-hmm. Tobacco. The tobacco was it's even very grown there for them. Yeah, it's a very tobacco-centric yeah. place. A friend of mine, her mom. There's a big house there called, I forget what it's called, but it's. Um, her mom used to know the people that lived like on that house, and oh, it cool. was a tobacco like it was a tobacco family. So. Oh yeah, they were. It's a lot of tobacco in this. Oh, tobacco yeah. and oil. 
James was born in New Bethel Township in 1877 and was the sixth of nine children. Okay. His father was James Marshall Sharp and looked like Robert E. Lee. Oh, good. I don't know why that was a fun fact I had to put in from the book. But <laughs> oh, good. It, he was a Civil War vet and came home with rifle balls in his jaw and chest. Oh, nice. He was also the only one in his community to have a subscription to the Atlanta Journal. I'm sure. Yeah. James Merritt's mother was Eliza Garrett Sharp, who was a severe-looking, tight bond having uh, foot... Uh, foot-stomping primitive Baptist. Oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, yes. Uh, he wanted to go to college, but had no money. Okay. So when he was 18, he started teaching in a one-room schoolhouse in Madison Township. Five years later, at age 23, he had organized and built Sharps Institute, his own boarding school. At 23, he had his own uh, boarding school. Mm-hmm. Quite impressive. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Sharps Institute was a two-story white frame building that had a big front porch and a bell tower. It opened in October of 1900 and had 50 students. When Sharp wasn't teaching, he was riding his bike on wagon roads trying to get new students. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. <laughs> By 1906, the institute had 225 students. And that was when he married Annie Britt Blackwell on July 3rd. Okay. He met her through her sister, who taught at the Institute. Okay. She had invited him to stay at her father's house while he was out on one of his bicycling recruiting trips. And at first, Annie Britt did not like James. Mm. He especially pissed her off by jerking her horse. Okay. Which I hope is not as dirty as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I assume he means with the brittle, he jerked it. Like, well, yeah. Gee, I'm going to go not. with that because that's the <laughs> only way I want to take that. So. Anyway. Yeah. We'll move on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, but when he invited her to teach at the Institute, she accepted and found herself attracted to him. They had planned to marry sooner, but her father fell ill with Bright's disease, mm. which is a kidney disorder, mm -hmm. and she left the school to take care of him. Aww. He died soon before the wedding, and Annie was wearing her mourning clothes while on their honeymoon. The next year, <laughs> the next year, a fire destroyed the Sharps Institute. Okay. So, so James moved he and Annie to. Rocky Mount in eastern North Carolina. Right. And that's where on July 7th, the couple's first child, named Susie Marshall, was born. Okay. James was still having some bad luck with money and went bankrupt trying to sell insurance. Oh, wow. Which meant... He must have been a bad insurance salesman because normally... <laughs> For real. That is not something you go bankrupt at. But him going Maybe. bankrupt... Maybe you, any. Need, maybe you don't need insurance. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you maybe don't. Maybe you don't need it. I mean, it's 50-50, you know. It's only for when you die yeah, or get really. seriously ill. Like, right. what are the odds of you getting seriously well, ill? Not that high. You'll be, you'll, you'll be fine. Just forget I said anything. 
Yes, I'm mm-hmm. sorry to have disturbed you. Have a good <laughs> day, <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, but him going bankrupt meant Annie lost all of her heirloom furniture. Oh no. He had been studying law before the fire and kept studying it afterwards uh-huh. with great purpose. You could say he had a fire under his ass, <laughs> but I'm fine. Ben's going to be here all week, so remember your waiters. Oh, yeah. Be sure to tip the waiters. Try the veal. He even went to Wake Forest to take a law school review course taught by Dean and Gully. Okay. At that time, North Carolina didn't, refor- didn't require formal education to take the bar exam. Wow, okay. So on <laughs> January 27th, okay. 1908, he took the exam and passed. Woo! He then moved his family back to Rockingham County and opened an office of his own. He later moved the family to Madison, where he and Annie gave birth to two more children, James Merritt Jr. And on November... Oh, James Merritt Jr. on November 13th, 1910, and Sally Blackwell on December 21st, 1911. James told his law practice was going too slow and thought he saw a better opportunity in the land. So he bought a farm on a turkey cock mountain. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Near Martinsville, Virginia. And moved his family there. He grew fruit and tobacco. I bet he did. Yeah. But he (laughs) intended the trees on the land to be the main source of income. Okay. He set up a sawmill, but as was his luck, a forest fire destroyed his timber, (laughs) causing James to file bankruptcy for the second time. I mean, I shouldn't find that funny. I really apologize, but I mean, like, this guy is not a good luck. I mean, his no. only good luck was the fact that he didn't have to actually have a law degree to take the bar exam. <laughs> and he passed the bar exam. Yeah. Which, back in the 1800s, I'm pretty sure it wasn't that yeah. difficult. <laughs> yeah. James murdered John. Is he guilty? A, yes. B, no. C, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ira R. Humphrey, an acquaintance of James in Reedsville, invited him to join his practice. He was oh, doing a law. Who was a lawyer. By then, there was a fourth child, Annie Hill, who had been born on one February 19th, 1914. So James moved his family to Reedsville. Not long after, it was discovered that James Jr., nicknamed Man Boy, because he had a stocky build in a mature bearing. Oh, dear God. Had a brain tumor. Oh, no. Man, their luck is just awful. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't really get much better. Okay. James took his son to Richmond for a craniotomy. Oh, man. Manboy had two more operations oh. and had to wear a skull dressing all the time to keep his bulging brain lined and contained oh, until his death on September 29th, 1916, just six weeks shy of his sixth birthday. Oh, man. R.I.P. Manboy. Yeah, really. Poor Manboy. That's just Annie, terrible. Oh, yeah. Annie Britt Sharp was, of course, just devastated well, yeah. at the loss of her child. Yeah. 
she stood by his grave weeping as they shoveled the dirt onto the coffin. By the time of Manboy's death, the Sharp family had moved to a big house on Maple Avenue, and another son had been born on July 24, 1915, mm-hmm. named Thomas Adolphus. Oh, God. On August 29, 1917, another daughter was added to the family, named Louise Wortham. Okay. Two months after she was born, James bought a house a few blocks from his office downtown, and this would be their last move. They so moved around a little bit. Yeah. Kept popping out kids, kept moving houses. Yeah. Four, children, four more children were born in the house. Florence Abigail on April 14th, 1919. James Blackwell and John, John Pomfret on August 9th, 1921. They were twins, obviously. Until the twins were born, the sharp kids drank raw milk from the family's dirty cow. Okay. But Annie Britt switched them to dairy milk after the twins were born. Which proved to be a fatal decision. <gasps> oh, no. The twins and their older sister, Florence, who had already had whooping cough, contracted, um, they all contracted colitis from the tainted milk. Oh, no. James died on June 17th, 1923, and John on July 4th less than a month before his second birthday. Oh, no. Florence, who was four at the time, recovered from her illness, but had to learn how to walk again. Aw. After the death of the twins, the life left Annie Britt sharp. Yeah, I bet. I can believe it. She wore... She wore all black, uh, stared vacantly, and wrung her hands. 16-year-old Susie tended to the children... She was like that for weeks until a neighbor's wife named Matilda, who would usually come once a week to help do the washing, ended it. The kids called her Matilda, and she had been hired to cook for the family while Annie couldn't. One day, Matilda told her, quote, Ms. Sharp, it's not right for you to sit here and grieve like this. And if you don't stop it, the Lord's going to punish you for it. He's going to take another one of your children. Oh, God. Well, well, that seems harsh. <laughs> I mean, it's already, I mean, there's already <sighs> been some shit. Now, I mean, I'll say this: like, I get, like, I get that you know you want her to snap out of it because she's got other kids. She's got right. herself. Like, come on, think about like what's happens happened. There's nothing you're going to be able to do to make things better. But, you know, you can make things better by investing yourself in your children's lives and your own life and enriching them as much as you can. You know, that's your best, that's your best, like, legacy. And that's your best way to honor your kids that have died. But to tell them, like, tell her, like, oh, you're going to lose another kid if you don't straighten up. Yeah, take another one. (laughs) That's, I'm like, ooh. (laughs) But after that, Annie Britt rejoined her family. Well, that was good. She celebrated her return by buying herself a new hat that had pink flowers on it. Oh, that's nice. On July 17th, 1924, she gave birth to her 10th and final child, James Vance, because she was determined to have a son named after his father. Oh, well, I guess. And the book said that her mother-in-law didn't didn't want any of the children named after James 
Yeah. So she just kept saying that, oh, they're she's going to kill that one, too. Oh, God. But uh, James, James makes it. Uh, the townspeople in Reedsville all respected James Sharp because of his hard work in the courtroom and called him Mr. Jim. Okay. Mr. Jim was medium height and build and liked to wear starch collars, wire-rimmed glasses, and bow ties. Oh, who doesn't? Right. Sounds like Eric a little bit. <laughs> but he always wore a hat outside. Oh, who During does? the summer, he wore Panamas and straw bowlers. Oh, me too. And during the winter, he wore fedoras. Of course. Right. Annie Britt pinned a fresh flower to his lapel every morning. Oh. In 1925 and 1927, he served the state senate. Ooh. He ran for solicitor in Superior Court judge, which is what he really wanted, but lost. Oh, too bad. And I went. So he was good enough for senate, but not enough to make to for more local stuff. Yeah, I guess. I guess I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they felt like he could do less damage. <laughs> he could do less damage in the state. We'll we'll give him that. He's bad I mean, luck. He's lost we'll just all those keep kids. Him. We'll give him that. His wife. Fire crazy. follows this guy. No. We better keep an eye on him. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> bad luck follows him. We don't want him actually working here. <laughs> but he was still a big part in the county's Democratic Party. He was a count, county attorney, president of both the County Farm Bureau, and the Chamber of Commerce. In his spare time, he was a mason and part of the Fraternal Junior Order of United American Mechanics. Okay. But family is what James would always put above all else. Uh-huh. Annie Britt Sharp was a thor- bleh, short, thin woman with long, dark hair. She liked having her daughters comb it before she wrapped it on top of her head. She had a sweet, gentle disposition. She loved family, birds, flowers, books, and music. Yeah. So she was kind of a badass, too. Yeah. Around the house, at least. Yeah. She would make three big meals on a wood, rain, wood range in a badly ventilated kitchen daily. Oh, God. She would make bread, pies, and cakes in between those meals. Oh, cool. In the summer, she worked in the garden and canned what she grew. Oh, nice. She churned butter and made her own clothing. Cool. Um, clothing for the kids. Nice. And she made everybody's sheets, pillowcases, and curtains. Holy moly. Alrighty. She was obviously the first one up and the last one to bed. Yeah, sounds like Also, it. not much of a big shock, but she didn't really have much of a social life. <laughs> um, what her social life did consist of was going to meetings with James or going to school activities. Um, she was grade mother for all the kids' classes, and she was part of the PTA. Uh, she was once dubbed Reedsville's Mother of the Year. Aww. The Sharp kids were all taught honesty, industry, and family above all else, and they were all big achievers. Both James and Annie wanted their kids to get a higher education that they couldn't. Yeah, I bet. So, Susie was the most studious one. As a child, she was called Scrap, because she liked bright-colored pieces of cloth. Okay. 
And when she unleashed her sarcasm onto her sisters, they called her Susie Bootsy Stick Stack Stootsy. <laughs> okay. Well, what I was thinking was they call her Scrap. And I'm thinking, like, Susie is scrappy do you <laughs> was what came into my diseased brain. <laughs> Not quite scrappy do. Yeah. Uh, she knew she wanted to be her dad's stenographer. Right. Or she could even say the word. Oh, okay. She tried out for the girls' basketball team in high school, but didn't make the cut. So she joined the debate team, which was coached by Judge Alan Gwynn who had won the judgeship that her dad had wanted. Okay. In 1924, she graduated Salatorian, uh, Rachel High School, and enrolled in the Women's College of North Carolina. She was taking classes that would lead her to law school. Um, you didn't need any undergraduate degree to go to law school, so she planned to go to Women's College for two years and then transfer to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill for law school. Okay. Susie was the only female in a class of 60. Great. And only the fourth woman in the history of the school. I mean... <laughs> okay. She's a trailblazer. She is. Uh, she was an honor student, uh, an editor of the Law Review. Okay. She passed the bar exam in 1928 and got her license to practice law. And this was a year before she graduated. Then she joined her father in his work and thus became the first female lawyer in Rockingham County. Nice. The family used to tell the story of a man that came into the office not long after Susie started and asked if she was, quote, that lady lawyer. <laughs> she told him he was and asked if she could do anything for him. He told her, quote, nothing, ma'am. I just wanted to see what you looked like, end quote. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like, I thought five maybe years. you had, like, five arms and an extra eye in the middle of your forehead. Right. I, I wanted to see if you looked like a boy, actually. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to see if you were hot. Yeah, probably. Five years behind Susie was Sally. Sally enrolled in Women's College in 1929 to become a professional violinist. In June of 1934, she married Lawrence A. Taylor and moved to Michigan. And that's it for Susie for right now. Okay. Annie Britt was inspired by her mother's desire to be a nurse. Okay. She was called Higgy by her family, and she was on the Reedsville High School basketball team and was also Salatarian. Okay. Um, after high school, she went to Duke University Medical mm -hmm. School. Uh, and was the second woman to get her bachelor's of science degree. Wow, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. The whole family is Man, kind these, of trailblazers. These sharp girls. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> they are. They are correctly named. While working, she met Frederick Klenner when he had gotten sick. Oh, he no. was also a med student. Oh, man. As she helped nurse him back to health, a romance budded between them. Oh, I bet they did. I bet Her family did. was not happy with this. Yeah, should have listened to him. Especially <laughs> since he was a Catholic. <gasps> Catholics in the rural South were regarded with as much suspicion oh. and fear as oh, yeah. Yankees. Yeah. 
Her mother and Susie both tried to convince her not to marry him, but she wouldn't listen, and they settled in Winston-Salem, where Frederick was going to finish his residency at North Carolina Tuberculosis Sanitarium. And Mm. Higgy joined the nursing staff. Oh, wow. That sounds like that'd be haunted. Right? I wonder if it's still around. While Annie was graduating from Duke, Thomas was getting his degree in chemical engineering at the University of North Carolina. Wow. He then moved to New Jersey to work at DuPont. Okay. Louise, who was called Pokey by the family, because she walked at a very slow and deliberate pace. Okay. She was Pokey. Also went to women's college in Greensboro. She was also salutarian of her class. Her major was elementary education, and she graduated in 1939 before getting a job at Caesar Cone School in Greensboro, teaching the seventh grade. Wow. Okay. Now we have Florence, who is nicknamed Pumpkin, Pandy Poo, and Fluky. Okay. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Was the carefree one in the family. Uh, in 1941, she was one of oh no, she was one of the popular girls in high school, and in 1941, got a degree in secretarial administration. It went out to get a job in teaching. Okay. Okay. In 19 in 1939, James was the only one left in high school, and only he and Susie lived at home. The Sharps were proud of all their kids and the fact that they were able to get them educated during the Great Depression. Yeah, that is something. Right. Now we're going to fast forward to 1985. Okay. And Louise was the only one living in the Sharp house. She was also the keeper of the family Bible that kept the records of every member of the family. Annie Britt had recorded her kids' marriages, births of grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and also recorded deaths. In August of 1952, she recorded her husband's death. In 1953, her second daughter, Sally, died of an embolism. She was 41 with a husband and two sons. Amy Britt said that she hoped that she would be the next one in the family to die, and she was, but it wasn't for another 20 years. Wow. She lived alone in the family home and would tell everyone who asked, I'm fine. Florence later, um, if she was okay, she would say she was fine. Um, Florence wrote a poem in 19, wrote a poem with that title. I know it's got crazy here for a second. In 1968, she got pneumonia and recovered, but not completely. And on April 9th, 1971, Annie Britt Sharp died of heart congestion at age mm-hmm. 87. Wow. In the parlor of the Sharp House was an oil painting of the greatest achiever in the family, Susie, hmm. in a judicial rope. She never married or had kids, but she had become an active member of the Democratic Party and worked on campaigns for two governors and a congressman. In 1949, after she shirt served as the county campaign manager for Governor Kurt Scott. Kurt Scott. She was offered a superior court judgeship, wow. a position that a woman in North Carolina had never held before. 
At first, she didn't want to take it because she knew how hard it would be. But after talking to her dad about it, she accepted. In 1962, Terry Sanford, governor at the time, appointed Susie to the North Carolina Supreme Court, a decision in which she was also the first woman. Go, Susie. Yeah. She was on track to be the first woman in the U.S. Supreme Court, thanks to having a friend in Senator Sam Irvin. Right. Who got famous during the Watergate hearings. Right. But she had to settle for being the first woman chief justice of the Supreme Court in 1974. Uh, North Carolina, right? Right. Yeah. That's pretty good, though. Right. Uh... In 1979, after her 72nd birthday, she was forced to retire. Aww. Ah. Thomas the Chemist ended up marrying into a New York social register family Ooh. and going into defense research. Ooh. Well, there you go, Thomas. Yeah, Thomas. Annie Hill taught for three years before the start of World War II, drove her to action for her country. She got her degree in nursing from Duke before joining the Cadet Nurse Corp as a teacher. And she climbed the ranks of, to the, goodness, she climbed to the rank of Lieutenant Commander before retiring in 1968 to take care of her mother. Okay. Uh, She would also work with her husband, who would give vitamin treatments, which we'll go into that later. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, there's some issues there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's some issues. Until he died in 1984. Yeah. A lot of deaths in the mid-80s coming up here. Oh, yeah. A lot. Um, Florence taught high school until she married Robert W. Newsom, who would become an executive at R.J. Reynolds and P. Lorillard Tobacco Companies before starting a consulting firm of his own. The couple had two children. In the years leading up to her mother's death, she had been teaching at a business college but retired a few months before. James, called Kitts, was a surgeon and a captain in the Marines. Okay. He was stationed at the U.S. Naval Hospital in Charleston. And he was getting close to retirement in 1984 and planned on moving to Lake City, Florida to be chief of surgery at a VA there. So, Annie Britt Sharp's sister, Susie, married James Sharp's first cousin, Early Garrett. I don't know why his name was Early, but whatever. His twin brother was late. <laughs> his, yeah. his twin brother was tardy. There was early and tardy. tardy. Early and tardy. I <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, and the Sharp kids were always welcome at their home. Their daughter, Alice Marie, married a man named George Anderson. They divorced 32 years later. I promise this is an interesting story. Okay. And George, at age 56, started dating his secretary, Gail. Okay. Nadja did not like her. Yeah. <laughs> or did like her, despite what everyone yeah. says. Nadja liked her. I like Nadja, her. 
I like Gail. Don't dislike Gail. I don't dislike <laughs> Gail. Why are you saying that? <laughs> One summer day in 1983, George and Gail picked up her 12-year-old son and went to North Carolina to a cabin on Lake Wildwood. While the three were getting ready to go out on the lake, a yellow convertible pulled up and Alice Marie got out and shot. She killed George and injured Gail before shooting herself in the head. Wow, holy shit. Yeah, and this is a quote from the book. The Sharps were nonetheless horrified and embarrassed that such a thing could happen in their family. Yeah, really. They could not have believed that before the spring of 1985 was out, far greater carnage and scandal, indeed beyond their imagining, would shake the family to its foundations. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. really. Really. All right. Now, we're going to fast forward a couple years. The book didn't really say. Uh, but, uh, Bob and Alice Newsom were waiting for their, for his parents to drop off their daughter, Paige. Okay. It was a little after 4 p.m., and they were starting to get concerned. Okay. They'd all been living together for a couple years, but his parents, Bob and Florence, I'll make sure to put a uh, family tree. Okay. I meant to send you one. I put it in my notes to send Laura a family tree, but I clearly did not listen to my own notes. That's sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, <well>. Sorry. <laughs> um. They were going to be moving into Bob's family's home near Winston-Salem so he could keep an eye on his mother, Hattie. Okay. All um, right. Well, that sounds nice. Yes. So, right now, it was Bob, Florence, and Hattie all living together. Okay. Paige had spent the weekend with her mother's parents so she could be in the cousin's wedding. Right. Alice's mother called at 5 p.m. to tell them that the Newsoms hadn't picked up Paige yet. Yeah. Alice called the Newsom house and got no answer. Okay. They tried for the next two hours to get a hold of Rob's parents, but there was still no answer. Okay. So they made arrangements with Alice's parents to pick up Paige. And at 10 p.m., Rob got up and declared that he was going over there. For some reason, Alice called her mother, and her mother suggested that they call the Suttons, who were friends with the family, and live nearby. To go and check on them and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Which fair, Alice's mom, but yeah. Homer Sutton was laying in bed when Rob called. The Newsom family. Uh, he was the Newsom family doctor, and he had not heard from the Newsoms either, but would be happy to go check on them. Okay. At about ten twenty, Doctor Sutton and his wife Katie arrived at the Newsom house. Okay. As they pulled up to the driveway, they saw three cars, and all three cars were belonging to the Newsoms. And then the lights were on inside, too. Okay. The Sottons got out of their car and went for the back door, which is the door that everyone used to go in and out of the house. Right. When they got onto the patio, they saw that the storm door was broken. Uh-oh. Which, doesn't that sound a little familiar? It sure does. It sure does, Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sutton peeked through a window 
and saw that there was a lamp on in the far corner and he could hear the TV playing softly. He saw Hattie lying on the sofa in a beige nightgown, covered up almost to her chin in an afghan. Florence was on the floor on her right side in a white skirt and a knit top with no shoes on. He looked closer and noticed blood on the floor. Oh, God. He tapped on the window and got no response. It was then that he realized that Hattie and Florence were dead. Oh, no. Oh, no. Dr. Sutton and Katie went back to their car. I mean, fled back to their car, probably. Right. Like, I don't run. I would be running. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, oh, shit. That oh shit That's run. Fair. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Get the so cops. Get just, the cops. Get the cops, yes. Well, that's a whole ordeal what's coming up next. Oh, goody. Get the cops there. But this was just too adorable not to include. Robert and Hattie, or her husband, were just total opposite. He had a really bad temper. It was so bad that he once took a shotgun against a bumblebee. That probably didn't <laughs> go that well. Right. And Hattie was calming and gentle. Aw. When her husband would start yelling profanities, she would say, Now, Rob. Oh, Rob. Now, Rob. Bob and, um, when they became grandparents, like, their whole world changed. Yeah. They loved being grandparents. Yeah. Um... Bob had two kids, um, Rob and Susie, and that her daughter, Frances, had three children, Nancy, David, and Debbie. Um, Bob was now called Paw Paw, and he taught his grandkids how to play penny poker. Oh, good. And would, would sneak them money. Well, yeah, that's what grandparents do. Right. Hanny was now called Nana. Oh, yeah. And she would read to them or make up her own stories with a character she created named Little Abraham. In November 1971, Papa's business partner had a heart attack, causing both men to retire. In the summer of 1979, Papa had some small strokes and he could no longer even drive himself. Oh, no. So Nana would take him to White Store and leave him sitting alone on a metal stool by the seat bins. Oh, good. Um, he died of congestive heart failure on March 21st, 1980. Aww. After his death, everyone worried about Nana, but she told them not to. She wouldn't have to worry about money. Because Papa left half of his $2 million in saving stocks and property to Nana. Oh, nice. And the other half to his kids. Good job, Papa. Yeah. <laughs> Nana's neighbor and friend, Mary Brownlee, said of Nana, who was less than half her age, uh, quote, She made you feel good. Just to drive down the street and see her out there with her lawn tractor or little wheelbarrow. Lawn <laughs> tractor. And her ridiculous outfits was reassuring. She was a wise person, always willing to share. No matter what happened to me, I knew I could go up there and tell her, and she would understand. 
She was a woman at ease with the world. She didn't have any false pride. I always said I wanted to be just like her. End quote. Let's go, Nana. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's actually saying that about... Was actually saying that about Dolores. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, I don't want to be just like Dolores. Like, there are parts of Dolores I admire. <laughs> right. But, but there's so much you're like, oh, like oh, maybe not pick up that trait. I would What's not. That? Yeah. In the 2010s is not a good time to have that trait. No. Also, um, I don't know what the hell Joe put, is putting in this uh, chicken thing he's got going on. I oh honestly don't, yeah. Good luck. I've seen almond milk go in it so far, so <laughs> good luck me. <laughs> good, luck, luck to you. good luck me. <laughs> um, Nana would pretty much help anyone needed it, no matter what they needed. Uh, she was so popular that in 1984, her church had a Hattie Newsome Day Aww. to pay tribute to her. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Sweet. Um, when Nana started having heart problems, everyone but Nana was concerned. Her son started spending more time with her and asked Mary and Sam Brownlee to keep an eye on her when he couldn't. He also asked friends to call and check in on her regularly. But in the night, but in the autumn of 1984, she slipped on an acorn and broke her foot. <gasps> oh no. So Bob and Florence decided it was time to move in. Yeah. Nana left off the accident and kept doing her yard work in her cast. But she was more than happy to let them move in, and even suggested that they remodel the house. That is where I'm going to leave it for today. Okay. We're at 45 minutes. Ish. Yeah, I think 4206. Eight, yeah. Nine, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> this has got more twists and turns than a country road. Oh, you know, yeah. It's got more twists and turns than an old mountain road. Oh. <laughs> I, think that, I think we found our title for this episode. <laughs> more twists and turns than an old, old country road. road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that it's taking so long to get like well, the sharps are sharp or the sharps are sharp <laughs> the sharps are sharp yeah <laughs> oh, I'm sorry oh, I amuse myself <laughs> uh, I very much apologize to everyone that this is carrying on for so long well, but I'm having a great time with it well that's all and I mean, no one else is listening. I mean, we might as well just do whatever the fuck we want. We'll be real here. There's... Yeah. Man, I hope they didn't... I hope they didn't throw away the, my notes. Because I meant to take my notes home the other day from work. And I got... I, well, I was so pissed off because... A, everyone calls in. B, it was... There were two of us on the floor from 10 till 6. Oh, God. And that was it. Like... There were two people. Uh, so I had to stay half an hour late. Which, I mean, I know that's not that big of a deal. It was just the principle of the thing. 
Right. But I was you expect people to actually show up for their job. Yeah, but I know. That's too much. Sometimes to ask. that's just too much to ask Way for. Way too much to ask. And then I was working on notes. I may have been working on some of them during work, but I wasn't. It wasn't the whole time. I promise. But uh, just when I got really, really bored, but um, or really, really mad, it was hard to tell. And so I was started out making notes for my uh, proposed uh, Skinwalker Ranch. What? Yeah. Yeah. And they better not have thrown that away because if they did, someone there is gonna die. I'm just telling you now. Yeah. That was, that was three pages of well. notes. So. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get mad when the dogs destroy one page of notes. I mean, well, they probably don't do that very often. It happens more often than you think. So, well, at least once then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, they are not the perfect angels. They're I not. make them out today. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh, Lord. No. <laughs> ah. Well, I find, for their benefit, I find that hard to believe for your benefit. I'm sure it's true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we have an email. We do. It's at creepy, it's creepingkentucky at gmail.com. It's not at creepingkentucky at gmail.com. <laughs> no, that's our uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram. Twitter and Instagram is at creepingkentucky. Right. Yeah. Um, and leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah, just make it a please. good one, please, please. Just say it, or not. Say we're awesome. Like just, just, yeah, just say we're awesome and leave it at that. I mean, we try really we hard. Try, we try. Trust me, we try really hard, even when we're, we're at work and bored. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I had three pages of notes on Skinwalker Ranch. I might have lost. <laughs> I hope not. Oh God, I hope not either. Oh, well. Cause I'm sure we will all need a vacation after this. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. We yeah. It's all right though. It's all good. Oh yeah, it's all right. We'll be all good. We got yeah. this. All yeah. right. Um, okay. So what are we? Uh, I don't know. What maybe, the hell in today? Shark family. Oh yeah. I guess that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Three, two, one. Shark family. What? What the, the hell? hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs>